If you'd turn to your Bibles to Luke 23, we're going to read the first 25, chap- 25 verses, not chapters. <laughs> so Luke 23, starting in verse 1. Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard of him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him, and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other, with each other that very day, before, for before this they had been at enmity with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify him, crucify him. A third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving of death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that, Their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for the truth that's there and uh, how we can learn of of your sacrifice for us, God. And we just pray as that we study your word this morning, Lord, that your spirit would anoint Jackie and overflow in him, Lord, and... uh, that we would come to a deeper understanding of your word and ultimately a deeper understanding of you and that we would know you more, God, and that we would be changed by you so that we can be a light for you in this world, Lord. And We just thank you for this time and for these people and we just pray for our hearts to be open to hear from you this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes when we look at a text like the one that we have before us this morning, I find myself asking the question, you know, I don't know, introspectively, right? Does, does truth matter at all? Because by, by the end of the first 25 verses, the one truth you have that's absolutely evident is he's innocent, right? But it's funny because... Human beings have such a twisted mob mentality that if the lie gives them something they want, well, they'll run with it. There was a French philosopher who had an idea, and in in his idea, you know, he thought he had this concept, right, talking about the redistribution of wealth and making sure or trying to provide an opportunity for all people everywhere to be on an equal playing field. Well, at least that's how he'd sell it. It would be called uh, equality um, for, the, for the masses, right? Equality of opportunity. But what he was preaching was actually something called equality of outcome, which means everybody should have the same thing. And so what happened with that in Cambodia, they got a hold of the idea because ideas have 
um, repercussions. And in Cambodia, they got this idea, and they had a similar idea in Russia. They gravitated to the same kind of concepts. But what they translated that to was that, gosh, the, the gulags are evil. Well, the gulags were your neighbor who had a little more than you. Maybe he had a few more sheep. His farm was a little better. The gulags are evil, so we'll gather them all up and we'll send them to a place that became known as the gulag. In Siberia, you heard of that? 20 million people they killed. For an idea, sounds good, but did the truth really matter? They started selling this idea, right, that the gulags were evil. I saw something like that before in history, though, didn't you? In Germany it happened. Well, was the people then... It was the Jews. Oh, that's right. Well, remember I started to tell you about Cambodia. You ever heard of the killing fields? Yeah, that's where that's the same idea. But, but what drove them to that? What drove men to murder their neighbors for their stuff? Well, same thing that's driven men for all of history. You heard the story of Cain and Abel? You remember how that goes? Abel was blessed of God. God accepted his offering, right? You guys remember the story. And Cain, God didn't accept his offering. And Cain was bitter and upset about it. So God said to Cain, Cain, why are you so downcast? And Cain said, well, you accept Abel, but you don't accept me. He's got more than I do. He's got an easier time than I do. Life looks better when I put on my Abel glasses. God said, Cain sins at the door of your heart, and its desire is to rule over you. But you should rule over it. And Cain turned around, I don't know how much later, picked up a rock and killed his brother. That is fourth chapter of Genesis. We've been killing our brothers ever since. We have not ever stopped. And we lie to ourselves and we say those same things aren't in us. Well then how is it that a lie told when Jesus is bringing brought forth, truth didn't matter. What mattered was I want what I want and I want it my way now. People were trying to hold on to power, weren't they? The religious people were trying to hold on to power. We want power. We have authority. If, if He is the authority, then we don't have any authority anymore. And what do we know about all of those forms of government? All the ones that I just was, was briefly, oh so briefly highlighting. Cambodia. You know the last great communist holdout is Korea. That's it. That, that whole experiment. And... You got man killing his brother again so he can have what? Power. I need the power. And the problem is when we look at a story like this and we read this story, look, I want you to realize that you and I are the crowd. We are not the exception to the crowd. We are the crowd because it keeps happening over and over. Cain keeps killing his brother. Because I hear something and I go, oh, I really like that. And then pretty soon, you know, how many of us have watched the news and thought, wow, we're like a powder keg in this nation. All somebody needs to do is strike a match at the right time. Right? And what will happen? It's not right we'll be battling wrong. If you think that, you're crazy. It is man will be killing his brother. Who do you think is behind that? Who came to rob, kill, and destroy. Who comes to say this? Does the truth really matter? Does the truth really matter? And then, you know, we, we are all so quick to say, yeah, I got the truth. Everybody else is screwed up. That's pretty dangerous. They said that in Cambodia. They said that in Russia. They say that in Korea. Man's never been in such a dangerous place than when he says... Oh, I got this. I have the truth. There's only one truth that is worth holding on to, and that is what the Word of God teaches us. 
And the reality is, I know, you know people don't like it when I say this, but the reality is there is no political move that embraces the Bible. There's some closer than others. I'll give you that. But there's nobody who says, yeah, this is the truth. And the people that that used to be was the church. And, and to the church, it used to be that truth mattered. That we want to learn from history and say, I don't want to repeat that. I don't want to repeat those events. I don't want to be the crowd again. See, what I learned from this story is I'm the crowd. I am the crowd. Ultimately, I'm Barabbas. And so are you. But Jesus Christ came to set me free. And he didn't come to set me free so I could get a bunch of swords and go beat people into thinking like I think. He set me free. He set me free so that I could recognize who I am in reality and come to him to make me more. Because he makes us whole. He makes me right. Apart from him, I'm a mess. I'm that all over again. Mankind is that all over again. All you're waiting is for a leader to say the right things and people who feel the right way. And the next thing you know, it's not, a, it's not an issue of, I, I think that uh, somebody should be caring about the poor. Nobody cares about the poor. Have you seen the poor get better yet? Nobody. There's one person who cares about the poor. You know what his name was? Jesus. He hung out with them. Yeah, when they didn't have any food, he took what they had and made it last enough to take care of them. No? He fed them when they were hungry. He healed them when they were sick. In fact, the, the people that were outside watching, what are you doing hanging out with them? Why are you hanging out with the poor? I think they're God's favorite people. He made a lot. Jesus said, the poor you'll have with you always. I won't always be here. So what's he want in his disciples? Stop arguing about who's the greatest and learn to be the servant of who? Oh, crazy how he comes up with those ideas, huh? Be the servant that God wants us to be. Look what happens. We have a bunch of accusations. Ask yourself as we look at them, did the truth matter? Then the whole company of them arose and they brought him before Pilate. Now remember, he's already been beaten once. Yes? Soldiers were playing with him. This is what soldiers do. Okay? This is what soldiers, this is what soldiers have always done. You put soldiers out, get a lot of people shooting at them, beating them, throwing things at them. They develop a different kind of an attitude. And then you put a prisoner who in their mind is guilty of all the things they've been suffering and you give them time. Most of the time, that's what's going to happen. They get slapped around a little. They get pushed around. But what happens when you, as a human being, are the picture of evil and perfect good is in your presence all tied up? What do you think you do? Oh, sure, you, you would suddenly blossom your goodness, right? They beat him. So he's already being brought before them. The whole company brings him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation. Now, let me, I want you to understand what that means. It means he was changing their culture, what they were used to. That, that's what the Greek means. He's, he's changing our ways. Remember Jesus told a story right, about wineskins. you remember? Don't put new wine in. Old wineskins, how come? They break, right? They burst. They can't handle the changes. That's how hard we hold the tradition. We hold so hard to tradition, then we'd rather break than consider the possibility of there being another way than the way we have always done it. He said, that's their first charge. He's misleading our nation. They're, he's leaving our tradition. He's, he's leading people away from our culture. Is that what he was doing? Ultimately, what he was doing was fulfilling it. He was fulfilling their law. Something they couldn't do. And it's evident in his trial. Why? Because everybody says the same thing. Not guilty. Not 
guilty. There was no sin in him. So there, you're misleading. You mislead the people. And, as long as truth doesn't matter, forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar. Did Jesus ever say that? They asked him a specific question, right? Is it lawful to pay taxes? And what did Jesus say? Render unto Caesar what? The things that are Caesar's and render unto God? The things that are God's. Does that sound like he's forbidding you to pay taxes? But that's charge number two. Does the truth matter? Well, no. What matters? We want him dead. We want them gone. We find ourselves sometimes when we are dealing with differences, cultural differences, we find ourselves in a place where we become so rigid. Have we become that? If the Word of God is our foundation of truth, and so this is how I know what's right or wrong, right? Not by who said what, but but what's the Word of God say? Is it the final arbiter? Then do we have a way to reconcile between two parties that disagree? Yeah, your opinion is irrelevant. What does the Bible say? The Bible tells us one day we will have a judge who will be absolutely true. Whom you will be able to stand up in front of, let's say, hypothetically, somebody brought charges against you. You could stand before Jesus and he'll look at you and he doesn't need a witness. Does he? He knows you did it or you didn't. Right? That's perfect justice. That's perfect truth. The closest thing we can come to that is the Word of God. Well, you say, well, I don't know, even though if we can all agree on the Word of God, well, good. If you can't agree on the Word of God, you don't get to string nobody up. You continue to pray and talk and search Scripture until you are reconciled. That's all. Well, then I can't get it done by the weekend. Sorry. Didn't know that that was our goal. I thought our goal was, what's the truth? What's God's word really say? What's God's word really teach us? But these guys, they just want to lie. They want to twist it. And the final thing he said, he calls himself a Christ, the king. He says he's the king. Now Pilate looks at him and he thinks, he asks him a question. Are you a king? Why does he ask that? That's a rhetorical question. Why is it a rhetorical question? Where has Jesus just been? In the dungeon of Caiaphas. In the pit of Caiaphas. You come with us to Israel, you'll see it. In the pit of Caiaphas where soldiers who are bored, who have been mistreated by the people that they are trying to, to serve, took out their frustration on a prisoner who just happened to be innocent. That's never happened before in history, has it? And so you have this man standing before Pilate, his robes, his clothes torn. He looks like he's been in a fight. His face probably bruised up a little bit. He's standing there and they're saying, he says he's a king. And Pilate looks at him and says, are you a king? It's rhetorical. So Jesus uses a rhetorical device when he answers it. He says, you said it. Did he say he was Messiah? Did he call himself the Christ? Absolutely, over and over and over again. In fact, John will tell us when he has this conversation with with Pilate, Jesus says to him, my kingdom is not of this earth. If it was, what? My people would fight. So Pilate comes back and goes, man, he's talking about a spiritual kingdom and being the king of a spiritual kingdom. What are you guys talking about? You know he's not guilty of these things. He says, are you the king of the Jews? You said so. So Pilate said to the chief priests and crowd, I find what? No fault. No guilt. He is not guilty. How many times do you have to be declared not guilty in a court of law to be set loose? That's how it's supposed to be, no? Huh. But they were urgent. And they said, he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee, even to this place. He's causing insurrection. He's causing problems. You've got to get rid of them. You've got to get rid of them. Guilt doesn't matter. 
Truth doesn't matter. Put them on the cross. Well, we know how the story ends, don't we? We know how it's all going to come together. They make their charges, but he says, Pilate says, I find no fault in him. Listen to what Judas himself said, the betrayer, Matthew 27, 4. Judas said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. What Herod say? We'll read it in a few moments. Herod said in 23, Luke 23, 15, I see nothing in him deserving of death. So he sent him back to Pilate. What about Pilate's wife? Matthew 27, Pilate's wife runs to Pilate. It says, have nothing to do with this righteous man. For I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. She even said he was innocent. What about the soldiers? The same soldiers, by the way, who misused him and abused him on the way to the cross. Matthew 27, 54 says, When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and they said, Truly, this is the Son of God. The centurion who was there with him in verse 47 said, Now the centurion saw what had taken place, and he praised God and said, Certainly this man was innocent. What about the thieves on the cross? What did they say? Luke 23, 41, And we indeed are condemned justly, for we have received the due reward of our deeds. But this man has what? Done nothing wrong. Everywhere you turn, somebody is saying he's innocent. He didn't do it. He's innocent. He's not guilty. He's innocent. The case, the condition of the human being is truth doesn't matter. We want what we want and we want it the way we want it. And if we don't get it, then we want blood. And history has played that tune since Genesis chapter 4. Over and over again. Mankind. Truth doesn't make a difference. Well, Pilate thinks he's got a loophole, right? Look at verse 6. When Pilate heard this, he asked, Is this man a Galilean? And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod. Now, it's interesting because... (coughs) You guys know back in those days, there was letters written back and forth all over the place, right? Letters written to Tiberius Caesar, both from Pilate and from Herod. And there's some argument about whether these letters are legitimate or not. You know, we discovered them roughly around the 4th century. So, so that's like 300 years after they would have been written. You know, you have to, have to, have to ask yourself, why did people make copies of these, right? So, so we could look at them. I don't know, but it's funny because in the letters you can see Pilate arguing that it's Herod's fault. And Herod arguing with Tiberius Caesar that it's Pilate's fault. Herod says, I didn't have no right to judge this guy. He writes in his letter to Tiberius Caesar. He says, I have no right to judge him because everybody knows that the Christ, the Messiah, was to be born in Bethlehem. He's a Bethlehemite. He's not a Galilean. He's not in my jurisdiction. He even points to the fact that his dad tried to kill all the babies to wipe this this child out earlier. He said, no, don't mind the babies though. They're, they were innocent. You know, they died in their innocence. They never had to suffer. So, apparently that was a good thing. But nonetheless, then Pilate responds. He writes a letter to Tiberius and says, that loser Herod, he wouldn't do what he was supposed to do. They get to fighting back and forth about whose fault it was. But they all knew he was innocent. How many people does it take to stand up and say something's wrong to get something wrong to stop? It has been said all that needs to take place for evil to prevail is for good men to do... Huh. Uh, Interesting. They knew. He says, well, I'm going to send him. I'm going to get rid of this problem. I'm going to send him to Herod. So they sent him to Herod, sent him into his jurisdiction. And so Herod had believed that Jesus had learned magic when he was in Egypt. So he wants to see some magic tricks, right? He's heard about miracles. So it says Herod's excited about it. 
He sent him to Herod, who was in Jerusalem at the time. So they're all in the same place, in the same city. Otherwise, he'd have to travel all the way to the Galilee. So he's just traveling <coughs> to the other side of town. When Herod saw Jesus, he was glad. For he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him. He was hoping that he would see some sign by him. So Herod, Herod is the kind of person who wants to be entertained by God. Entertain me, Lord. Do some tricks. Do some magic. Take this away or that away. Move this. Take that. Show. Prove to me. Prove to me that you're real. If you're real, then you would do this. If you can't do it, then maybe you're not real. Jesus said, a wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign. And what would be given? Huh. One sign, he said. I'll give you one sign. You're going to kill me, and three days later I will. I'll rise again. So he wants to see some sign. So he questioned him at length, but he made no answer. Jesus does not open his mouth, does not say a word. Isaiah 53, 7 says that he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like sheep before its shears is silent. He opened not his mouth. Herod questioned him for a long time, trying to prod him, trying to get him to do something to entertain him. And when they wouldn't, it said the chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him. So they're using the same things that they were using earlier against Pilate. So what happened? Verse 11, Herod and his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him and arrayed him in splendid clothing and sent him back to Pilate. So all they could come up with to do to this innocent man was Dress him. Some say this is where he'd get the robe. He'd get the kingly garb. They put all these things on him. They start to make fun of him, like all the things that he said he could do. And and saying in his letter, if his letter is true, <clears throat> one of the things that, that Herod says is, you know, magicians can't really do their tricks in front of wise people. And no sign will be given them. No sign. Jesus stood there. And they mocked him. And they tortured him. And they dressed him in splendid clothing. And they sent him back. And after that, Herod and Pilate became friends. Well, as good of friends as you can be with the person you hate. They probably <clears throat> wave to each other now when they walk through town. If they saw one another. If their letters are true, they didn't get along all that great. But they're friends. Why? Because they both had to deal with what to do with an innocent man. What do you do with an innocent man? Well, you beat him. What do you do with an innocent man? Well, you mock him. You make fun of him. You dress him up and you torture him. What do you do with an innocent man? And when we look at it, when we read this scripture, we think, oh, well, look at those crazy people. Look at what those guys did to Jesus. Oh, if I was there. That's arrogance. Are you sure? There's a section in Scripture that counsels a man to know himself. Do you know yourself? I hope. I hope it's true. But I see myself in the crowd. I see my cowardice in the crowd. I see my silence in the crowd. I see my don't want to be bothered right now with all of this. So I'm going to turn up the TV and sit somewhere quiet and we'll just let the world do what it does. So he sends him back to Pilate. So on his trip, he goes back. He comes back to Pilate again. He's been questioned. They haven't found anything. They found him to be innocent. And they tortured him. So it comes to Pilate in verse 13. He says in verse 13, Pilate then <coughs> called the chief priests and rulers and all the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who is misleading the people, trying to change your culture, trying to change the way you've always done things. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your 
charges against him. Third declaration of innocence. How many times you got to be declared innocent before you should be released? Does truth matter? Does it make a difference what's real? Or can we just be frothed up into a murderous attitude? I found this man not guilty of any of your charges, neither did Herod. For he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. Therefore, what do you do with an innocent man? I will punish him and release him. I'll scourge him. Maybe that will satisfy you. Wait a minute. What do you do to an innocent man? It's something... I don't know. I, I understand. I guess I understand. I think I understand. Sometimes I understand. That I, I want right and wrong to be just super black and white, right? Straight line. Right is always right. Wrong is always wrong. And, and I think that's true. But I also understand in that reality there are circumstances that are painful and hard. Right? That's real too. Is, that's not less true. It's still true. But we have this... This battle between what's right being right is this always right? And if a guy is innocent, what's the what's the drill? If you're innocent, should we scourge you? Well, that's you know, we, there's probably something we don't know about, right? You ever spank one of your kids and find out later they didn't do it? Ah, got it. And then what do we say? Well, you probably done something I didn't know about, and I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's probably true, right? There probably was something we didn't know about. However, yeah, you don't scourge an innocent man. You don't mock him and beat him. You don't take out your frustrations on him. But why does all that happen? Because the whole world is broken and he's not. Because the whole world is twisted, but he's straight. Because the whole world is under sin and he is sinless. And when the whole world sees him in that weakness, in that place, they hate him. Jesus said in John, I think, 15, And they hated me without a cause. They just hated me. And I think sometimes that's part of our problem with God, right? Because, well, maybe we're like Herod and God won't do a sign for us. Maybe something horrible happened in our life. You know, my mom died. My mom got sick or somebody in my family got Alzheimer's. And if God was good, he wouldn't allow that to happen. He would do a sign for me to show me that he's real. Because ultimately, really, I am the center of the universe. Or am I? God owes me. Really? For what? All my goodness? All my kindness? How much I've been there for my neighbor? How many times I found a broken man in the street and I wrapped him up with bandages and I took care of him? God owes me? I don't know. So we're mad. I hate God. I hate the idea of God. You know, the more we talk about God, the more we look for somebody else to save us instead of just saving ourselves. We should just save ourselves. And it would be a lot easier. We actually had a, a, a United States <clears throat> Congress person say, you should really probably question whether you have children at all. Why? Why should we question that? Well, you know, the world's in a terrible state. And more kids just make it worse. Well, you know, they want to skateboard on everything. Well, I know, we can stop them from skateboarding on everything. Let's just put a bunch of ugly chunks of metal to everything. And then they'll stop. And now we're looking at ugly chunks of metal. I'd rather look at kids skateboarding. Well, not me. Okay. 
They have this anger at God, this frustration at God, and the reality is, guys, I don't know, but when I read it, I just hear my voice in a crowd. I see my attitude in the, well, he's an innocent man, well, who cares? His idea is dangerous. We don't like him. We got a world full of crazy going on right now. It's wild. How did we get here? Good men did nothing. Well, then good men say, I know, give me a sword. Did we not learn anything from the whole sword passage? What good was the sword? Well, you whacked off one guy's ear. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, we stopped it all. Oh, no, we didn't, did we? No, what is, what's the sword God wants you to grab hold of? His word. What? Wait, wait. I got a, I got a crazy idea. What if every one of us went and found our own street corner and started telling people about Jesus that walked by? Oh, they'll think you're crazy. They'll call you names. They'll want to lock you up. I bet you can get more change accomplished in that than you can running around with two swords. Oh, I, I'm not really comfortable with that, Jaggy. I don't like that idea. Well, I know, it flies against everything in us. I just want to be quiet and keep doing my own thing. How's that working for the world so far? What happens if God's people prayed? What did Jesus say when he took the disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane? Gethsemane. I just like to say it that way. Sounds cool. Gethsemane. Some words sound good. He goes to Gethsemane and he told his disciples to do what? Go to sleep and don't worry about anything. What did he say? Watch in so you don't fall into temptation. Oh, wow. But all that happened, all that was necessary for evil to prevail was good men to do nothing. Just go to sleep. Maybe you'll wake up and there will be a great leader who will come on the scene and he'll have all the answers. Wait a minute. I read that somewhere in the Bible too. Yeah, it doesn't turn out so good. What happens if God's people hear what God does and they respond? I'll punish him. Then I'll let him go. That's what we do with innocent men. Then in verse 18 it says, But they all cried together, Away with this man. Literally that means kill him. Release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection, started in the city and for murder. Dirty murderer. Release to us Barabbas. So Pilate addressed him once more, desiring to release Jesus, and they kept shouting, crucify him. And a third time he said to them, what evil has he done? He's innocent. I found in him no guilt deserving of death. So I'll punish him for being innocent and release him. Great plan. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voice prevailed. Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. Give the people what they want. We are the people. If we'd have been there in the crowd, we would not have been the one opposing voice. We would not have the Holy Spirit in us like we do now. We'd be in a place of lost humanity. And lost humanity, given the right circumstance, will always do wrong. Occasionally, there'll be a little bright star of hope that comes out. But somehow that ends up, even that, gets a little twisted. Unless it finds its power, its ability rooted in Christ, anointed by the Spirit. So, they cry out for Barabbas. Barabbas the murderer. Barabbas the insurrectionist. Barabbas, you know that bad guy. He's a bad person, Barabbas. I am Barabbas. 
I am guilty of murder. I was a party to at least the death of two babies. I, in fact, hired the killer that killed them. I'm guilty. Not to take into account in any way the things that Jesus said, that if I've been angry at my brother, I'm a murderer in my heart. All I have lacked is the opportunity to pick up a stone like Cain did and kill his brother. I am Barabbas. And Jesus Christ, in his innocence, came to set Barabbas free. He came to set you free. Not so that you could be free to do whatever you want. Not so you could be free to live the life, any life that you want to live. He set you free so that you would be empowered by Him to be His hands and feet. To be His voice in a world that's gone crazy. The world will clamor and say, give us a sign. And He says, no. No sign. I died and rose. That's your sign. Now go. I always wonder what it was like for Barabbas, right? Because he's in prison. He's, he's headed to the cross. The two thieves and Barabbas were going to die. The only difference is Barabbas is substituted, right? For who? Jesus, right? So, so Jesus is now going to die for Barabbas. That's the substitution <coughs> that takes place. And, and, and for a moment, I think Barabbas is probably pretty stoked. I, I can't remember which movie, one of the movies about Jesus. I don't know if it's Jesus of Nazareth or if it's the Passion of the Christ or which one it is. But one of them, Jesus is leaving, and, or uh, uh, Barabbas is leaving, and he's all stoked and he's all excited. He's like, yeah, yeah, and high-fiving his his buddies, right? I got cut loose. And then he, but he sees Jesus on his way out. He's already been beat up by three different sets of guards. He's about to be scourged, so it's not as bad as it's going to get. And in the movie, he stops for a minute. I wonder if he understood just in that moment. Oh, you're going to die for me, but I'm guilty. I'm, I'm guilty. i done it. But Jesus Christ came as the innocent to set the guilty free. Why? Because we're all guilty. Not because half of us are innocent, but that the other half needs some help. We're all guilty. We're all the voice in the crowd. We're all the hand, hand holding the hammer, driving the nail in His hands. We're all that part. I w- I'd like when they asked uh, Mel Gibson about the passion, I don't like everything Mel Gibson says. I liked he he was asked a question. So who was it that crucified Jesus? He said, "Well, in the movie, the hand holding the hammer, driving the nail, is me, because I did. I crucified him." It's not them. It's not those people. It's not those guys. It's me. He died for me. I was Barabbas and he set me free. And he didn't set me free so that I could just wander around aimlessly not wondering what my purpose is now. He told me my purpose. Maybe I don't like it. He said, go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. Whenever somebody comes on staff at Calvary Chapel Buell, I try to tell them all the same thing. Raise up someone who can do your job better. And if God takes that person, raise up someone who can do your job better. You don't got to make 10,000 disciples. Why don't you just start with finding one person that you can speak into their life. And tell them a truth about Christ. If you're a grandpa, I bet you got a grandkid you could do that with. If you're a mom, I bet you have children you can do that with. If you're a father or a husband, I bet you have a wife you can do that with. I bet all of us could just find someone we could disciple. No? He came to turn Barabbas loose so Barabbas could find a purpose. Now, I don't know what Barabbas did with his life. 
He don't tell us. And it's not written what I'm going to do with mine. I can't look on the page and say, oh, there's where I did it. There's where I finally got it right. There's where everything works out. No. But I know it starts with this. Pilate releasing Barabbas demonstrated what Jesus came to do. He came to set the captives free. And even the final act on the cross, he's going to set free someone there too, isn't he? Yeah. Crazy. It's crazy how many ways we can see it. In verse 25 it says, So they released the man that was thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but they delivered Jesus to their will. Listen, 1 Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. That's what's happened to me. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says, I was crucified with Christ. He set me free. But when I look at the cross, that's me. That's my death. He's dying. That's my death. He set me free from that. So the life that I live now, I live in the power of God. To be who, what, where, when, how God has asked me to be. To follow the truth of His Word. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. He became my brokenness so I could be whole. In Christ, I'm not broken anymore. In Christ, I'm a just man made perfect. In Christ, I'm right. I just got to make sure I stay where? In Christ. I got to be clothed in Christ. I got to make that choice. I got to put on Christ. I got to put on Christ. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about living. Yeah, you confess Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. Great. You're good. Jesus is my Lord. You've been baptized. You declare yourself publicly a follower of Jesus Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Welcome to the family of God. Now every day you got to choose. Put on Christ. Don't put on you. Put on Christ. Put Him on. Take off the old man. Put on the new man. Now what Paul said? Be clothed in Him. Hebrews 2.14 Since therefore <coughs> the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise He partook of the same things, that through death He might destroy the one who has the power of death, the devil, and deliver us who through fear of death were subject to its lifelong slavery. In Christ, I don't have to be afraid of death because death is the doorway to Jesus. In reality, I'm still a little afraid. No? I'm a little afraid. Why? It's a great unknown. Right? Nobody comes back and tells us. Oh, don't worry. It was okay. It's not so bad. So we don't know. What's it like? Do I have what it takes to cross that final threshold? All I know is that Jesus promises I do. He says, Nothing will ever separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus your Lord. Not death, not suffering, not the sword, not not nakedness, not peril, not jail, not trouble, not tribulation not persecution nothing will separate you from the love of God nothing not one thing he'll give you everything that you need Mark 15 15 says exactly what we are talking about with this last act Barabbas being set free so Pilate wishing to satisfy the crowd released for them Barabbas and having scourged Jesus He delivered him to be crucified. In that verse, you have what Jesus Christ has done for each of us in the gospel. He set this Barabbas free. He set you free too. Even if you don't know your Barabbas. He set you free to give you a life more abundant.
set you free to empower you by the Spirit and the Word of God to be in a story bigger than your own. To accomplish more things than you or I can even imagine. You have been set free. The life He gives back. So much better than the one I thought I had. Yep. Here's the... I don't really want to tell this story. Okay, so... Man, sometimes we just don't want what's best. We want something else. We we think we know better. So we keep doing it. We get away with it. Time after time. Yeah, I knew my parents were crazy. Nothing happened. But the wages of sin are always death every single time. And just because I didn't get paid doesn't mean payday is coming. I had this beautiful dog. Pretty sure she thought I was crazy. Slept in my bed. Don't play in the road. Why, Dad? It's not safe there. Oh, it's really fun. It's the most fun I've ever had. In fact, don't don't play in the road. God tells us all that. Maybe we think he doesn't know best. He says things like, man, the best relationship between a man and a woman It's in marriage. Oh, what a great thing. Do that. No, that's not the best, God. There's something better. So you run down the road and you do the thing God said not to do and everything's okay. always okay till it's not I am Barabbas Jesus set me free
I don't want to play in the road no more. I hope you don't either. Come just stand with me. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you that we can come before you in your word. And I pray, God, that that we can do it honestly. Not trying to think, oh, I've seen this all before, I heard this all before. God, your, your word is living powerful and sharp. Help us hear you. Help us know you. Help us surrender our rebellion. Oh, I know what's right. I know what's best. But all the while, your word calls us to so much more. So much. So much better. You say to me, oh, Jackie, I love our long walks together. I love them too, God. So I want to turn away from my dumbness, my own stubborn. will that wants to do the wrong thing. I want to do what you want me to do. I want to recognize hey I'm Barabbas and you set me free. So what would you save my life for God? What do you save it for? What, what, what grandchild can I speak to? What neighbor, what friend, God, I want to be your voice, so, but I got to know your voice to be your voice. It's not magic, so open your word. Give me eyes to see your word so that I can glorify you, God, by the way I live my life and things I say and do. This, this life, this world is not it. This is a place of pain and suffering. We made it this way. People ask the question all the time, how does a good God allow this? Well, it's simple. We declared our independence. If you don't like the world we're in, we made it. We did it. We make the choice to kill our brother. We make the choice to hate our neighbor. And this is what happens. Sickness. Famine. Suffering. Pain of what one man can do to another apart from God. Jesus Christ came to save us from that. One day he'll come and be king. But until that day he's left us. Envoys. Ambassadors. So God, I want to know you more than I've ever known you before, that I might be able to relate the light in a dark place. And if that means everybody else hates me without a cause, that they shout at me in the street, that they get angry one day 
and drag my body off to be burned, so be it. I choose you. Rather live for you than die for me. Be glorified, God, in this place as we turn our eyes to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Are you hurting and broken within? 